I just turned to Anne and said, I don't feel very well. The, the left side of my face had completely dropped. The first responders right, telling yeah. the ambulance, we're pretty sure you've had a stroke. So they already know before they get to the house, time is of the essence. Um, I was only 50. But as my walking improved, my soul lifted, my spirits lifted. I feel very, very thankful. And yes, I wake up every morning and go, oh crap, I can't put my socks on properly or whatever. Yeah. You know, and that's fine. So have an eye little to be complaining about. Hi there. I'm Jerry Stevens. Welcome to this episode of the Strokecast. Now, normally, I would introduce our guest who has suffered a stroke and get to hear their story and their journey of stroke. Except today, it's my turn to share my journey with you. So who better to talk to me than an old friend who convinced me to take on the idea of Strokecast? Al Dunn. The chair is yours. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I mean, I've been sitting outside listening to all of these as they were going along. And I've got to say, you know, the stories are compelling. I, I think it's a really, a really worthwhile thing that, that you're doing here, Ger. So we, let's get on to your story. We'll get straight, straight to it. Your life up to the stroke. You're Jerry Stevens. You're on the radio. You have your business going, driving bands around and doing whatever. You're at home watching the telly. 13th of November 2017. <clears throat> it was a Monday evening and we were watching TV. We'd had our dinner, myself and Anne, watching TV on the couch. And I didn't really have an event. Um, like, you know, if you have a heart attack or something, it's an event, you keel over, yeah. you know something has happened. I just felt very unwell. And my tongue felt about four times the size it should be. It, it just went really big in my mouth. And uh, I just turned to Anne and said, I don't feel very well. And she looked at me with a shock on her face. My the, the left side of my face had completely dropped. Right. And I just felt as if I was nearly chewing my tongue as I was talking. Um, so I didn't feel well. Um, she said, I think, she said, I, in actual fact, she was very tuned in. She said, I think you're after having a stroke. Was there anything before I came on? Did you nothing, feel anything at all? Nothing whatsoever at all. Um, so even though uh, obviously I'd had the stroke, it didn't feel like anything had washed over me or, you know, I'd, I'd felt a change except to say my tongue felt uh, very big. I still was able to use use my arm um, and I still had sensation all over. But uh, I would say within the next 15 minutes of me being stupid, me saying, look, I'm OK, you know, just leave me here. I'll be fine. Um she rang my best friend who literally turned up in seconds. He is a first responder yeah. and Johnny Bulger, my lifelong friend, um, came to the house very quickly and he said, um, I can't fix you. We're going to have to get the shot in the arm. They're going to have to fix you. I need to get you there now. So while he was doing this and uh, distracting me, Anne had called the, the ambulance. Mm -hmm. I would say within three or four minutes of the ambulance being called, my local first responders were at my door. That's how quick they were, which was just amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, the lady's name was Susan, and I've become great friends with her since. Um, and she said, I knew, by the way, you were lying on your bed and your leg kept falling off the bed. You couldn't move your left arm. And she said, it was very obvious your face had dropped. 
So she had told me since, you know, to me, you, you, you have had a stroke. So when this happens, the first responders obviously are first on the scene. Um, they're going to get in touch with the ambulance, with the hospital and tell them their assessment of what, what's happened. And because ambulances don't always turn up, yeah, you know, as yeah. quick as we would like them to be, you know, especially in a big area. I'm in the northeast. It's a busy area to cover. So there is a key word uh, with stroke, and that is fast positive. So they have examined me, and from what they can see, you're fast positive. So we're pretty sure you've had a stroke. This is the, is this the ambulance, or the or no? The, this is the first responders right, telling yeah. the ambulance. So they already know before they get to the house. We're dealing with somebody. Time is of the essence. This could be a clot. It might be a bleed. This could be a clot. If it is, we really, time is not of, on our side, you know, because when you get a clot or a bleed, your, your brain is starved of oxygen. And while it's starved of oxygen, you're losing around about two million brain cells a minute. Mm-hmm. And let's not talk after five minutes because, you know, you're in the, the hands of God really after that. Mm. So they had already convinced, you know, they had, yep, yeah, We've got a fast positive here. They got in touch with the hospital who relayed to the ambulance, which was on its way to us, that uh, you've had, uh, you've got, you're fast positive. Uh, we need to, you know, get the the, the wheels in motion. Mm-hmm. So the ambulance arrived. They they didn't waste any time at all. I was on the on the, the, the bed rolling out into the back of the ambulance and off we went. I began to feel worse by the time I got into the ambulance um, I was getting sick and very nauseous and I was very, very worried because I was now out of control for probably the first time in my life mm-hmm. as to what was the sequence of events that are now going to... I knew, like, I was still very coherent, um, but I knew the sequence of events that are going to happen now and for the rest of this day are out of my hands, um, which was very scary. I don't think I've ever had a... A, a, a situation ever that that, that that has happened to me. And there's no blacking out whatsoever. You're just, no, you're totally everything. conscious oh, and totally absolutely. aware of everything I that's wish, going on. I wish I did. I wish I did. But So you're aware you can't, your, your, your left arm is not necessarily working correctly. I, it was like a, 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 you know, if you slept crookedly yeah. and you have a dead arm, you know, and you feel needles and pins and, you know, that sensation. Amplify that and that's what my, my, my left arm was. I, I didn't really cop that my left leg had stopped as well, but I could feel pins and needles in my arm and my hand had kind of clubbed itself and wasn't doing much at all. So at that time I was in the ambulance, this meant nothing to me. Um, It was just more the fact that I think there's something very seriously wrong with me and I just hope that, you know, we can get this sorted. Right. Um, Nobody had said the word to me really you know, um, that you've had a stroke. The first responders told Anne. Yeah, they didn't say it to me. They didn't say it to me. Um, So we get to the hospital in double quick time. They're at at the back door ready for me and literally I'm put onto a trolley and I am in the CT scan as quick as you like. Hmm. Hospital Registrar, Dr. Zul Khalil. Jerry, you came in with a hemorrhagic stroke. So... As compared to everybody else, you're the only person, I suppose, who had a bleeding type of stroke. And it's a different mechanism altogether because yours was probably driven by hypertension or blood pressure. So to understand this, I suppose, put yourself, um, think about a balloon, let's say, and the pressure in a balloon. 
So you keep blowing at that balloon and that balloon basically goes up and up and up and up and up and then you build up the pressure in that balloon, you know, continuously by blowing into that balloon. At one point, you know, because of so much pressure in that balloon, it's going to pop. And that's what had happened in, in, in your instance, is that the blood pressure was just building over the years, building up, building up. Now, blood pressure doesn't give you any symptoms in general. You don't know that you have blood pressure um, unless you check it. So it's probably been building up for over years and years and years. And at one point, because it's been building up and up and up, the the, the walls of your artery, I suppose, would have been thinned out as a result of, uh, you know, increasing pressure and would have just popped and resulted in a hemorrhagic stroke or a bleeding type of stroke. So what do we do for that? We treat the blood pressure. You know, we treat the blood pressure acutely and we treat the blood pressure in the long term as well. Um, there isn't necessarily much intervention that we can do from a hemorrhagic type of stroke. Um, you know, we don't have the fancy thrombectomies and clot busting drugs and all that. Um, and really, hemorrhagic stroke is something that is currently um, being looked at um, quite diligently um, because there's such lack in unified treatment um, or an understanding of it. Uh, we've made such dramatic um, improvements in ischemic stroke or clot type of strokes, but we haven't necessarily made that much of an improvement or um, change in hemorrhagic type of strokes. And that's where a lot of research currently is being looked at. They took the, the CT scan. When you're dealing with CT scans and head injury, you normally get in touch with Beaumont, mm -hmm. no matter what yeah. hospital it is, because they are the specialists. They are the specialists, and they are, you know, they are the, the the authority when it comes to stroke. So they had um, been in touch, sent them the photos of my CT scan. I continued to get ill, and all of a sudden, my brother turned up. Um, so I'm going, God, family are here, you know, so. <laughs> I, must be, I must be dying. <laughs> yeah, sign this document, please. Yeah, exactly. So they, he turned up and um, I'm going, this, you know, <laughs> maybe they, they know something I don't yes. know because I'm continuing to get sick. And the nurses and everyone is so friendly and just so understanding because it's very much like or had turned into from the time in the ambulance to my time in the uh, the CT scan room, um, my I had suddenly been taken off the world. The world c continued to turn, but I was looking in. Mm. So it was like through a letterbox into everything going on around me. And I wasn't really controlling what was going on, mm -hmm. which is very, uh, very worrying, very scary. Um, the... Doctor, the stroke doctor, Asul, who uh, was the registrar that night, he came in to me and he said, um, you've had a bleed on your brain. And I said, a bleed? I said, how, how was your speech at this stage? Um, it sounded drunken yeah. because obviously the left side of me was um, a certain amount of paralyzing had gone on, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, uh, and it took me a while, a, brain, a bleed on my brain. I said, I've had a brain hemorrhage. He said, yes, you have. Now, we've... We've had the CT scan. We can see where it is. We're after sending it to Beaumont. They're going to be back to us in about 10 or 15 minutes and they're going to let us know. We may have to put you back into an ambulance. We're going to send you to Beaumont or they may be happy for us to continue yep. uh, treating you and dealing with you uh, here. Um, now, I know I know. since, you know, it wasn't a bleed. Uh, sorry, it wasn't a, a clot. 
it was a bleed. And of the two, not that there's a, there is a good one, yeah. but of the two, probably the, the, the bleed is the better, generally a better outcome. So um, I waited and waited. My brother had come in. I think Anne had come in to me. And obviously we were all very worried and, you know, um, very emotional. And uh, then the doctor had come back to me and said, um, Beaumont, I have had a look at it. It's, it is a bleed. It's a two point centimetre, 1.8 centimetre by two point something centimetre um, on your right thalamus, which is a, a quite an important fuse box. Mm-hmm. It controls my left side and my temperature and stuff like that, um, which I know now, obviously, I, I didn't understand what he was saying to me. <laughs> um He's, and he said, Beaumont are quite happy for us to deal with it here. We're more than capable of doing that. We don't We don't need to send you there. So I didn't need to have another journey or anything yeah. like that. So uh, then I was out of that room and into, uh, um, into um, I suppose, into A&E. And, you know, well, we need to get you a bed now and we need to sort out some medication and stuff like that. So at no point did I uh, conk out or faint or yeah. anything like that. So it was all going on in reality TV. Um, around me. Exactly. So you're like a fly on the wall. Like yeah, very like no much so. Very much so. Um, I got some injections. I don't know what they were. I know the one while I was on the trolley in the CT scan, uh, I said, maybe this is, you know, this miracle uh, thing they yeah, need to. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't. It was for contrast for the photo. Right. You know, so right. they could see the black and white. It was it was contrast. Um, because it, if it had of uh, thinned my blood out any more, it would have been really bad. So... What, was there any chance of it bleeding again or had it stopped bleeding or did they know or what? I what think they the horse had bolted. It, it had been and gone. And, and there was no chance of it happening again. Well, that's what you, that's why you stay in. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But, but um, Nobody was saying anything like that to me. Yeah. Um, well, not that I can remember. And I, I do actually, you know, as much as I don't want to, I do remember everything of right. it. And I remember sitting there uh, on the trolley quite helpless and quite... Um, I would say um, very concerned for Anne, not concerned for me. Yeah. Because it was, I'll be honest with you, it was a grenade that had gone off in our lives. And a lot of things go through your mind. Um, I was only 50. Yeah. You know, um, which, you know, on the grand scheme of things, I'd like to think of a few more years left. We all would. Yeah. So, um, and just seeing, you know, the, the more the effect it had on Anne and, and the, the trauma that had, you know, this bomb has just gone off and very much we didn't know where we were going, what we were going to be doing. Um, and, you know, everything was very uncertain. That's a theme I think you picked up on in some of the earlier programs as well, that, that you know, pe- people, the stroke victim, do think more about the people around them necessarily oh, without a doubt yeah it's it's not about it certainly was never about me um but you must have been worried about your own uh, no your own no. life if you like no. no if i go i go right um al i've i've had a lot of motorcycles i've yeah very I've, true i've done a lot of um foolish things baby um but um that kind of fear wouldn't know it was more what you would leave behind. I think everyone else I've asked this question to is more the people you leave behind. And believe me, everything goes through your mind. Was there any fear of death? Um, No, I don't think it was a fear. I I tell you what it was, and I've never really realised it until you've uh, suggested it. I think it was a fear of life. 
mm-hmm. not being able to be me again. So mm. living my life on different terms and um, perhaps um, didn't really occur to me about my left side at that time. You know, I, I, you know, I just I know it was part and parcel. You know, you generally one side goes. Yeah. And typically, as we've speak, spoken to people over the, the last few weeks and months, um, it does come back, you know. Um, but I think realistically, probably fear of life on somebody else's terms. In other words, not being able to do the things that I loved. Yeah. You know, um, so maybe that was the the bigger fear, you know, the bigger worry. And then you, you're in hospital. You you eventually you have to go to sleep that night. Um, it was very late. I did get a bed because I, uh, obviously they were trying to get me into the acute yeah, stroke yeah. ward, which they have up there, which is purpose built, an absolutely amazing facility. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not hourly care, uh, hourly care it's quarter hourly care. Right. They, they, they absolutely monitor you and you're in the right place. And they're coming in asking you, who's the Taoiseach and <laughs> every 15 <laughs> Everything minutes? Or, like yeah, that. Exactly, yeah. Everything like that. So you, you cannot get better care than yeah. that. And they were absolutely amazing. So I think it was quite late. I think, you know, it could have been very late at night. Again, I did get a bed. So you know, and you and you go to sleep. You wake up the following morning. Yeah. What goes through your head? Um. What have I? You know, uh, somebody dealt me cards last night. What hand have I got? I think was what was going through my mind. Um. Can we make progress here? You know, um, how bad is the bad news going to be? Mm-hmm. I only remember my right arm working and very bad speech. And I remember um, knowing that my left side wasn't working at all, really. At that stage, it had dawned on me. I'm talking to my arm and my hand and they're doing nothing mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, and I was in a bed. Obviously, I was, I was, I was in a bed. They, they had to help me to sit up Um I had lots of tests and got to to meet um, the consultant and um, she was a wonderful person, um, very caring, very, um, very specific about what we need to do, where we need to go. Um, And, you know, let's get the ball rolling. So at that stage, and probably for the right reasons, there was no talk about what I couldn't do. Yeah. You know, let's talk about what what you can do and what we can do to help you. Um, So... That had started. And then, of course, um, the physio comes and has a chat with you. And then, you know, over the, the coming days or whatever, the, the speech therapist comes in. I I couldn't believe how bad my speech was. Yeah. Probably because of what I, I had done for the previous 30 years about yeah. presenting. Yeah, and, yeah you absolutely. Know, yeah. Um, because your voice was the tool of my trade. Totally. Um, so um, it was really bad. It was really giddy. And it was like I had two sets of teeth. One set were opening and working and the other ones were clinched. <laughs> so it was very hard to uh, to get my point across. And I probably sounded narky and angry. And maybe I was at the time, you know, um, or just short fused. I didn't mean to be, certainly didn't mean to be. But as the conversation would leave my brain to go out, it may have sounded just a little bit abrupt. Yes. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't my intention. Yeah. You know, tone is, is I think, a thing uh, in, in stroke victims as well. And I've, I've heard that and experienced it myself. So you you have a natural sunny disposition. I would like to think you're, so. you're naturally optimistic. 
Yes. Uh, or certainly that's the way it, it, it's always seemed to me. And I know you a, a long time we've worked together and done bits and pieces. Did that help or, or did you even, does it make any difference? Um, yeah, I think it did because my first, my first, my first concern was Anne and to make sure that she was of the right frame of mind. So maybe I was being crafty, even though, you know, what can I do to make her, even if I have to lie, what, yeah, yeah, what can yeah. I do to make her less worried? Um, and I had been working with a lot of bands and stuff and I had, you know, I had tours booked in and all yeah. the, all this kind of stuff to, to, to my other little, little uh, business. And uh, one band uh, who I'd been with for seven years, they were in Japan and Anne had messaged them to let them know and they were really shocked and very supportive and all this kind of stuff. And um, Stripes, was it? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they were very, you know, it was it was great to get support from people like that. And they were genuinely, you know, they're in touch with Anne and uh, messaging me and stuff like that. Um, um, and I had other work that had to be done and friends of mine came in and did the work mm. and wouldn't take any money and... You know, um, you know, people just rallied round. It, it was overwhelming and it was, um, I think, um, reassuring and probably more importantly, from the from the place I was in, it was distracting. Yeah. Um, which was probably more important to me at the time. And you know something I didn't notice, you know, for the first few days, I was getting in and out of bed in a hoist. And I was being wheeled around to go to my physio to be yeah. assessed and then to get scans and, to, you know, to look over scans and stuff like that. So it only dawned on me, I'd say about a week later, I actually can't get out of bed. Yeah. You know, there was two people in a hoist to get me out of bed. Um, and it began to dawn on me then, how long is this going to go on for, you know? Just before we get into that, I mean, I, I remember when it happened. I remember, you know, because we're quite a small, well, a small enough community that we all know each we other. We are. Um, and <clears throat> it was up on Facebook and you, you had stuck up a couple of pictures as well of yourself in the wheelchair. And we were all, I, I think, I mean, we were texting and you were texting back. Yeah. Um, is that a distraction that, that it was is a welcome, welcome? It was a welcome distraction um, because... You probably have too much time on your hands yeah. to think about the wrong things. Um, I was very anxious. I was very nervous. And I won't lie to you, you know, I was dealing with a lot of strangers as well. Mm -hmm. And I think cognitively, people were coming into me and kind of going, "And Sorry, who are you? Oh, well, I'm your speech therapist yeah. or I'm your physio, you know, whatever. So you're trying to di digest all of that. And you're probably going to forget their name when they, when they go out. But, you know, I think that was just, you've had a yeah. stroke, you know. <laughs> These things are going to go, go on. But I think when you're not being distracted, communicating with other people outside, and it was very much the outside yeah. to me, um, you need to focus on something else. Because if you start thinking about the future, because I certainly did, and I'm kind of going, well, I'm not going to be able to drive anymore. I'm not going to be able to talk properly anymore. No one's going to hire me to, to do a radio show now. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very concerned. How am I going to make a living? How am I going to pay, pay my mortgage? You know, all these, you yeah. know, there were crisis things going on. Um, so you're kind of very concerned about your future. But I think it was definitely a welcome distraction uh, communicating with other people. That's great to see though because I mean I, I remember at the time talking to 
people and some were saying, you know, well, should I, I might give him a call or maybe I won't give him a call. Should we give him, a, will I text him or whatever? I think people don't always know what to do because they don't know how you're going to take it and whether you want the distraction. So you do want the distraction. Well, you do. But I think if you send somebody a text, a text is exactly, oh, exactly. that. Yeah. They can choose to answer it or they can see at least that you are thinking of them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, whereas probably a phone call might be a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I think it is. It, it's well worth doing. It's very reassuring, you know. So we're back in. You're in there a couple of weeks. You uh, suddenly realise, hey, I can't get out of bed anymore. Yeah. And it's beginning to dawn on me. Am I going to be able to walk? So we had a couple of goes. Um, I I got into a, a frame work, as it were, to, to study my posture. And things were reasonably good. It, it looked pretty good. There was nothing crooked or, you know, it, my it, the default position was kind of trying to find itself, as yeah. it were, you know. My right leg was reasonably strong, but you have to understand, when you're in a bed for a couple of weeks, rust sets yeah. in. Yeah. Your muscles... Very, very quick. I was alarmed how quickly your body slows down and things begin to waste. How do you stay positive through all of that? Or do you stay positive? Well, it was very hard. I'm not going to lie. But you have to put up this front for Anne. Well, I did. and But still, it, it was very hard. My, my good friend, um, Johnny, came, came to see me regularly. And uh, <laughs> he used to sneak things in for me, you know. Um, but that was a fun distraction. Right. You know, he brought a cheeseburger and chips in one day <laughs> <laughs> and he sat beside me talking to me and I said, oh, I can smell salt and vinegar and he took them out. <laughs> Were you allowed to eat these things? No. Not at all, okay. Uh, d- did you have a go at eating I, these you things? You better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably ended up wearing more than I ate, but uh, still. <laughs> there, there's a distraction. They, they, they were the stunts he would pull, so... He um, he had a, a great invest and in interest in me because we had been great friends. Um, he's a musician and a fellow biker, and we'd been, you know, yeah. through various interests and, and loves of music and, and bikes. We we have been together probably God, I must know him over thirty years. So um, he's been, you know, very supportive to me and still is. Um, in fact, it convinced him to become a proper first responder. Oh, very good. And that's he's he's he, that's what he's doing now and he's doing very well at it. Are you standing I'm, at this point or is it, are you I'm not standing but I'm getting to a stage where I think you have to understand and I think also it's very important that you be realistic about what a physio can do in the early stages. <clears throat> a physio does not have a magic wand. And I think you need to understand a physio doesn't fix you. You fix you. The physio gives you the map. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to understand that because there was many people said, oh, I went to see the physio. He's not great or they're not great. I'm not, I don't feel any better yeah. because they probably gave them some tasks to do since the last time. They're, they don't have a magic wand. Yeah. So you have to fix you. You've got to, you know, help them. They're only going to tell you the, the path you need to go. Um, which I was understanding and I also understood that I didn't really give her a whole lot to work with, you yeah, know. And yeah. um, my body was only beginning to thaw, as it were, you know, and we were beginning to assess really my physical and, to be honest, my mental ability because I was failing some mental tests dreadfully. And when I was doing them, I was going, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Next, you know, but I was failing them. I actually genuinely thought, 
Oh, that was an easy one, you know, but, and I was dreadful at them. And then I started doing some of them on the iPad, you know, the, the, yeah. the cognitive ones and began to realise I'm dreadful at this. <laughs> but um, they were assessing me mentally and physically. So when you realise you're bad at this and you think you're doing well, what do you think? Do you think, well, well you begin I'll to, get better tomorrow? Or, or No, it dawns on you then that I need a lot of help, a lot of help. Um, now, my speech was dreadful, but I, this is going to sound really weird. My speech was dreadful, but I remember how I used to sound in my head. So I began in my mind impersonating me. <laughs> I know it sounds daft, yeah. but that's how I got back. Well, my voice isn't back to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's 99%. It's working. Yeah. It's work. It's 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 working. It's reasonably good. But I'm, this is weird, I know. I am impersonating me is the best way of you saying it. You do a fairly good Jerry Stevens impersonation. <laughs> I'll give you that much. <laughs> but that's how, in my head, I got around trying to articulate my tongue and my speech. When I was doing the speech therapy, probably maybe three times a week, um, I had a lot of problems with uh, S's. I think it's called fricates. That was my issue was with my fricates, which is an S or an S sounding word. Um, and I would concentrate on them. And con- and I think the more I concentrated, the worse I got, to be honest. So then I kind of abandoned that for a while and just, just focus more on what I could do and try to articulate my tongue to force it to make the same sound, no matter what I had to do to make the same uh, emphasis. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I started doing with that. Well, Jerry, hold on to that thought because uh, we're going to take a break and we'll come back next week with the second part of your story. You did get the S's back, obviously enough. You got your life back on track. And we'll also talk to you about how we convinced you to put this series together. So, Jerry, in part one, we heard about your life before and the lead up to the stroke and your initial time in hospital. So you've been in for a few weeks. The doctors are happy. It's not going to happen again. So what happened next? I think... What became obvious was I needed to go to somebody who could help me begin to walk again. So after a month in Drada, I got, luckily, a place because they don't come up that often. You know, mm. you're away, holding your breath, really. And I was lucky I got a place. So I went up to Dundalk and I went up in a wheelchair, in a wheelchair taxi. And the taxi man, obviously it was a regular run from him, he, he, he did them regularly and he said to me, how are you getting on? And I told him and he said, well, let me tell you, he said, I bring lots of people up in this wheelchair taxi and I bring them home and they're walking back to me and getting into this taxi. He said, you're going to the right place and he said, this is the next stage to you getting home. And I thought, this sounds great, you know. Mm. All my money was on this bet, yeah. you know. Um, I had nothing to lose and hopefully I had something to offer that they could work with. I have to be honest with you, Al, within three days, I started walking. And and how did they get you to walk that quickly? Um, <clears throat> a very charismatic man called Sunkar um, had taken me on. He had did he did some tests the first day I got there. And he said, I, I have a lot to work with here. I think he said, I think we, we have a lot of good things uh, to work with. Um, and he said, we, we'll start in the morning. And you're, when you're getting news like this as well, obviously this is buoying you Anne, I phoned Anne. She was on her way home from work. Uh, she was crying. I was crying. I, I started doing the physio. Um, and it's just more or less getting into your mind and, and reassuring you, what's the worst going to happen? You're going to fall over. Okay, well, let's start falling over. And now let's concentrate on not falling over. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's what we were doing. Um, and by the second day... 
I was putting one foot in front of the other, um, carrying my weight, is the best way of saying, carrying my own weight. Mm -hmm. And that kind of pace stayed like that for about two weeks. My balance was appalling. And my whole body would list to the left and I would literally walk around in a circle, you know, or I would just fall over again, which is fine. Let's, you know, let's, what's the worst can happen? So let's just, worst case scenario, grand, we'll fall on a mat. Clinical nurse, specialist in stroke, Fiona Connachton. I'm at Cherrytown in Loud County Hospital and that's our stroke rehabilitation unit. And it was how he was so willing to battle it alone was one thing. Never did I realise what I was saying he took on to such a degree because anything you'd say to Jerry, he takes it on, he takes it on 100%. And I think that has been so evident when I sat in the cognitive rehab group with the group the first session. And I think the here and now, in the whole podcast that we're doing here today I think that just says it all Jerry's not one of the statistics that is the 25% that didn't get back to work he has achieved what he set out We started talking about maybe letting me home First of all you got to get a home visit um, from your occupational therapist is your house suitable to let you home? Mm-hmm. Does it have stairs? Do you have awkward steps? You know stuff like that so uh, they go and they have a look at the house. And they, I live in a bungalow. Mm-hmm. It was very easily adapted. And so I went home for one night and it was like um, um, parole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like the fugitive. I was allowed home for one night, um, which was amazing. Got to see my dog. I hadn't seen my dog in months, you know, and he didn't remember me. <laughs> but, um, and we got to have a, a dinner, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it was amazing. And th- the rest of it, I just spent on the couch, went to bed and just switched off. Because yeah. fatigue is a huge thing. You do need to rest. You do need to switch off. Not not even sleep. Just close your eyes and literally give your brain a chance to catch up. It wasn't uncommon for me to have a nap and it ending up three to four hours, yeah, yeah. you know. But after two months in, I was probably doing maybe an hour, an hour and a half during and, the day. It's a constant theme throughout these, these it podcasts hasn't stopped, as well. That, it yeah. has not stopped. I'm still doing 30 minutes, 40 minutes in during the day. And if I don't, I trip. I, um, my, my voice stumbles. Yeah. I'm not processing um, and I'm, I'm just being stupid. So you're home after the two months. Yeah, I get, I get a night home. You get your home. night out. I get a night home. Uh, and then you're back in, in hospital. Back you, you're, you're seeing this continual improvement, but it is quite gradual, isn't it? Oh, your body's in no hurry to fix itself. Yeah. How yeah. does that feel, Jerry? Um, well, I didn't understand who or what was dictating the pace. But as my walking improved, my soul lifted, my spirits lifted. Still a bit concerned about the arm. Not sure about the hand. I was pretty convinced the hand is never going to talk to me, to be honest with you, because no matter how hard I tried, there was nothing going on there at all, you know. Uh, But, you know, I I had bigger fish to fry. I had other things to be worrying about. So, was... Got home for that one Friday. They said, that went well. How did you feel getting home and the whole lot? They said, look, we need a couple of small things to be done to your house. Basically, the most important thing is you need to be able to wash yourself and we let you go for the weekend so you can stay Friday night, Saturday night and come back to us on Sunday. 
So we aimed towards that. We got some things done to the house and that was great. So I was able to get home on a Friday evening, watch TV, order a takeaway. You know, it was like luxury. But Sunday evenings used to be dreadful. It was like the Last Supper because Mm. you're having your dinner and... You're not really talking to each other because you're going, you know, when we finish this, we have to get in the car and go back up to Dundalk. And I was like, Ugh. you know. <laughs> but I, I suppose in many ways I was looking forward to great. Monday morning, we're back in the gym. We're going to, in the mornings, we'd work on the, the walking, balance and walking. And in the afternoon, then we'd work on the arm and the hand. The arm was beginning to improve. The wrist was beginning to kind of turn. Fingers not talking whatsoever. Nothing there at all. With these small improvements, were you setting goals for yourself every week or what way did you, did it work? Were you just happy I, enough at the I kinda, end of the day? I kind of listened to my physio, to be honest with you. I, I trusted him absolutely 110% and anything he had said or any goals that he had set were true. So he sets the goals? He was setting the yeah, goals yeah. and he was setting them realistically. My walking, I was very proud of my walk. I think I thought it was better than I really was, <laughs> right. you know. But I was getting around under my own steam. Yeah. And I remember my family came up, my mum came up one Sunday and uh, they came into my room and I wasn't there. And I was down in the uh, down in a little uh, library, a little uh, cubby room. And I walked down to them and my mum nearly fell out of her standing mm. seeing that I could walk again. Yeah. You know, my mum is 89, you know, and she doesn't want to be seen. You know, uh, uh, you know, no yeah. parent wants to be seen their 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 child in because in, in, we're all, always no, their children. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so I remember it lifting her spirits. Um, and it was also, you know, my brother, my other brother, Martin, um, was blown away as well. And I, I have another brother who lives away in Dubai and he was he was very supportive, too. Um, but so things were lifting in the grand scheme of things. I was still a young man mm. and I was very uh, optimistic and very uh, enthusiastic about getting better. Which kind of surprised me because they kind of said, well, not everybody is enthusiastic about getting better, which kind of surprised me, to but, be but, honest. But I, I think, but, again, this comes back down to your natural disposition, which is probably optimistic and, and uplifting. Quietly, you know quietly what I mean? optimistic. Well, I quietly mean, I, I would necessarily, I'd say you're, you're generally optimistic, but however, but, and that would help, presumably, uh, if people, yes. you're concentrating on what you can do, as you say, rather than what you can't do. Yes, but also, I, I think I was good at taking instruction. If somebody tells me, Try this and this, and we think this will make progress with that. Okay, mm. so I'll do it. To me, that's fine. If it doesn't work, that's fine too. But, you know, if you're if you're telling me this is what we think you should do, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, and I did it. And in fairness, it paid off. Yeah. My, my blood pressure, which was the original issue, I had hypertension, which had caused my bleed was still not right. We were, they were trying one drug, then two, then three together, and then a different dosage of the three to, to try and work it out. Mm-hmm. And still wasn't, after three months, still wasn't 100%. And um, so that still had to be observed and, and looked at. So I eventually get out and I'm home and lots of fuss, lots of attention, lots of people calling and lots of people coming to the house and it was great you know um, lots of distraction I suppose and the future was kind of out of my hands I was waiting for the next person or the next stage to happen I was very either stupid or brave I'm not sure while I was in hospital I I bought a car an automatic (laughs) car um, and I got it adapted uh, to to, you know let's see if we can go around the block so um to have my independence and to get to my appointments 
would have been amazing. Um, so that had given me enormous freedom. I was home probably five weeks, six weeks, letter came to the door um, from the Bayless Centre in Navan. They do amazing work there. They're really good physio people. And I got an appointment to go and see a, a, a physiotherapist there, Fiona Kennedy. And um, she took me on. She assessed me, took me on. I think we can do a little bit here. Let's focus. Your walking seems fine. Your, she said your speech seems fine. It's, you know, um, which at that stage had got to, uh, mm-hmm. I could hold a conversation. Yeah. Um, so um, I started with her and uh, oh, a year and a half later, I'm still going to see Fiona. Right. And we're still making but, uh, And there's still progress. I mean, again, there even this morning progress. you were showing me you yes, could do something my, with your hand there that you couldn't do. My thumb hasn't moved in 23 months. And last, this, sorry, this week, I have began to get signs of signal. So where you've signaled travelling to it, you've hope. You know, I think my recovery is taking longer than perhaps some of the people we've had on the show. But I think we have very common denominators with dealing with life and, um, you know, daily life and chores and stuff like that. Um, I still, you know, I in in a former lifetime, I was a chef and I love food and I love uh, cooking. I still do a lot of cooking, but um, I won't say I cheat. I more assemble food now than actually cook, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm very nervous. I have my good knives still and I'm still very nervous with them. Um, so I kind of buy stuff that is pre-cut or stuff like that. But I still make the, make everything up and I enjoy it. I would enjoy wasting a day, yeah. you know, making maybe two dishes or something. And I would enjoy that, you know. Um, but my mind is still the mind. If we go back to the first night I went into the hospital... It's still me and I am still me and I don't think I ever stopped Mm. being me, which is quite important uh, to say because I know um, I was constantly wondering, you know, I can't remember a name or whatever and stuff like that. That, This happens far less now. Mm. But while I was in hospital and it was only after speaking to Dr. Neve Rowe about this that it's it's a thing called aphasia which is you can't find the words. You think you're forgetful but you're not. It it is actually a a thing. It's a condition and it's very common with stroke. Um, But I will give you a laugh. I used to listen in our gym in the uh, in, in Dundalk when I was beginning to make progress and you know the time was right to make progress. Um, we would listen to RT Gold and it would be on all the time and of course typically in DJ mode or radio mode You're giving out about your man talking too much No, not at all No um, because at that stage they weren't talking too much (laughs) 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 It was automated Right (laughs) Um, The first three seconds of any song I heard I could tell you three things about it and probably have a good stamp at the year Very good So I kind of hold on a second here there's nothing, you know. Jerry's still in there. The hamster hasn't fallen completely <laughs> off the wheel here. So that quietly made me chuckle because yeah. I'm kind of going, so I'm remembering all this, but I can't remember what I had for dinner today, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I kind of knew that. So I was quietly, again, quietly confident that, you know, I just need, I'm, the essence, the core is still here. I need to let it out. And and, and it has come out to to a great degree. I've, I have a lot of things to be very ta- uh, thankful for, Al. Um, I go to my, my physio now regularly in Navan and I'm sitting in the waiting room and all kinds of people uh 
go through the waiting room and in all kinds of contraptions. And I'm sitting there and I'm actually thinking to myself, you know, maybe I shouldn't be taking up this hour Mm. um, with my physio because maybe I should let somebody else go. And I've had this conversation with Fiona before and she's kind of saying, can you can you use an iPhone fork yet? No, I can't. Can you type? No. Can you do your shoelace? No. Well, then I'm not finished with mm. you. You know, so it, it's all relevant to yeah. your situation. But I feel very, very thankful. And yes, I wake up every morning and go, oh, crap, I can't put my socks on properly or whatever. Yeah. You know, and that's fine. So have an eye little to be complaining about. So what? tell me about the course. Okay. Um, I would have been home... Um, I would have been home quite a while and I got a phone call from Fiona Connaughton who has been very supportive, very helpful um, in both, in my entire journey actually. Um, and she said, look, how are you getting on? Are you back to work? And I said, I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm staying very positive. I said, I'm still doing the physio and that's keeping me going. It's giving me a, something to aim for. And I am uh, not fit for work, to be honest. I don't feel I could carry it off. I think I would get confused easily. I wouldn't have the confidence to um, string a, a, you know, a link together yeah. or whatever, or watch the screens, you know, there's four, three or four screens you need to watch and timing out. And, you know, basic things we don't even think about, yeah. Al, but I have to think about them now. So I said, no, I'm not working yet. And she said, I have this course coming up. I think it's absolutely ideal for you. It's to deal with cognitive issues. It's to give you more confidence. It's dealing with getting used to, you know, processing things that are going on around your life and how to give you the tools to be better equipped for moving forward and helping you with your 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 ongoing journey. She sent me the email. I read through it and I said, everything on this list is wrong with me, <laughs> you know. Yes, that would be fantastic. This would be amazing. And I said, this is for me. It was a four-month course, so it was quite a, mm. a a commitment. But to be honest with you, after having a chat with Anne, this is not a commitment. This is a blessing. Let's yeah. give it a go. What's the worst ca- that can happen, you know? The worst has already happened, so, you know, it's all win-win. Let's just do this. So I started that and met some amazing people, learned an awful lot about my condition and things that I feel and go through, which I would never have equated to be um, as a result of having a stroke. Um, and I met some amazing people with amazing stories of which you've heard a lot of them already. Yeah. Um, and I just thought um, this has just equipped me. I can't really put my finger on every, you know, on, on one specific thing. Uh, Dr. Neve Rowe was the uh, cognitive expert who ran it and a great talker, very much in tune with who you are and how she not lowers her level, but adjusts her level to communicate with you and make sense to you, which is a gift. People who can do that. I only know maybe five or six people that I've come across that Mm. can actually do that and not feel condescending or intimidating. And that is a gift. Cognitive rehabilitation doctor, 
Niamh Rowe. I think initially for Jared, there was a lot of questions that he had surrounding the nature of his injury, the location of his injury and how it was presented with regard to paralysis. So I'm, I think a lot of the questions were put forward and answers were given which promoted better understanding and acceptance to the difficulties that you may experience on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think we also looked at, because throughout the course of the weeks, it was identified about um, Jared's hearing, the auditory processing side, and it was observed by myself about his tendency to turn to a certain um, angle to process the information. So we spoke through that and different techniques and strategies were put into place regarding when Jerry's in a situation where he's to take in large volumes of information through his hearing side of things to how to position himself going forward. The other thing um, Jared um, received from attending the programme was we looked quite a lot at the fatigue levels um, and looked about managing it um, and we did a bit of work on actually noting the sort of the levels and the timing of it so we could sort of establish before we got too tired, okay this is a signal that I need to take a rest now. So it was more or less to do with the fatigue management side of things. Um, overall, Jared participated very well in the group. Um, he was always there before me, bright and early. Um, and actually was a very, very valuable member of the team. Um, and I got a lot out of actually working with Jared as well. So thank you for that. I just felt enlightened driving home from RD uh, every time I went to one, you know. Um, and I went to every single one of them, never missed one. Um, and other people's stories, which unraveled during it, um, were just amazing, you know. But also the common things with stroke, being tired, being cranky, yeah. things not going your way. Um, and, you know, maybe feeling isolated at times. And because you're not working Um, you may have a lot of time on your hands and you need to know how to deal with that and not fall into ruts, Mm. you know, and not bad habits, but just ruts and, you know, not overthinking things, I think is, well, it's probably a common thing for anybody who's not, you know, active. I I do still do a lot of writing, musical writing and stuff like that at home. And I have a little studio and I potter around Mm. and I still do my cooking and, you know, I walk my dog and stuff like that. Um, So that's keeping me, that's the fuel that's keeping me going. So what about the future, Jerry? Um, I want to get to the end of this year. Um, I don't feel, well, two things, and I don't mean in a poor mouth way. I don't feel I've much to offer the industry at the moment. Um, because I feel if I go back on radio and people listen and I have a bad one, I think I'll only get the one shot at going back. And people might say, oh, he's, he's back after the stroke. He's not great, is he? Or he's, oh, he's not the same. So I would rather not do that until I feel. I think I could give myself another six months, whatever, you know. I, I think a, a better excuse, Jerry, is the screens because you sound exactly <laughs> the way you did and you'll be fine. There's no chance of that. So just for okay, what well, it's worth. Well, OK, let's blame the screen. Yeah, if you, okay, you want to yeah, say yeah. if you want to say you can't concentrate on a screen for four hours, I believe it. If you want to say I'm not going to sound like Jerry Stevens, I'm not going to believe that. Listen, I'm okay. a great impersonator. Yeah, I know. But there you go. For, for what it's worth. Um, I, I'm still getting better. Um, the... I haven't, the most important thing to say to you is I haven't plateaued. Mm. My recovery hasn't suddenly, I'm not going around in a circle and every time there's a measurement improving, improving, every time I have a new party trick that I couldn't do the previous month. Mm -hmm. So as long as that's going on, I'm still making progress. Um, So 
I know there's a bit of a myth. People say, oh, well, you know, you have to keep active after a month. You know, you, you have, you've got to get going. You've got to uh, supposedly grab the window of opportunity because if you don't, your muscle memory, your, your memory, your, your motivation will, will fade away and you'll be less bothered about mm. fixing yourself, which sounds a horrible thing, but it do, people do fall into that rut. Now, I haven't, and I have remained very optimistic and very energetic, I suppose, in many ways. Uh, enthusiastic, would I think is the word, to, to get better. Um, and I haven't stopped getting mm. better. So if I was to take on, I certainly couldn't do a full-time job. I couldn't do five days of, mm-hmm. of anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would love to do a morning somewhere or, you know, um, and spend the week kind of in my head working towards it and getting. Uh, I have found doing the stroke cast immensely rewarding. And I, I'm kind of glad that this will give back something I hope to other people who have suffered strokes and they're, more importantly their families because you do need to understand their point of view too yep. there may be things that you don't see or wouldn't be aware of and well maybe not so much in, in my story today but in other people's stories um, it may give them ideas or clues as to where where we're fitting on the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. you know and you do need to be patient with people they may not be the person they were before and they're probably struggling very much to get back to that person and you do need to you know give them a little slack and, and allow that but also monitor them and, and make sure fatigue is a killer it's just yeah. the common word and I know people are probably bored with hearing it but it is hand in hand with the word stroke any doctor will tell you and you do have to be very mindful of it well, I think you, you're you're very brave to do the stroke cast. I think you're, you're it quite, was your idea. No, Hold well, on I a second. <laughs> Hold on a second here. <laughs> but it it, it it for for the families and for the friends of stroke victims, it, it 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 is going to be very useful in my in my view. What we've just gone through over the last hour or so in here is going to be very very useful as well. Um, I genuinely, there is nothing wrong with your communication skills anymore. For, again, for what it's worth, and also for what it's worth, I mean, I'm still in and about radio stations. No matter when I'm in and out, because people know that we're we're working on this, they're asking about Jerry and how's Jerry. There's still, you know, there's a lot of goodwill for you out there. There always has been, but that came about because of what you did for the last 30 years and, and how you operate. So we've heard the stories of the survivors and they're all very compelling. From the rock star Shane, we had Gronya, Siobhan, Aaron and Magella. But we're not leaving it there. You've still more to come. What's next on the stroke cast, Jerry? We do, Al. We're not finished by any means. We're going the medical route now. And we're going to go the medical route with uh, Zul Khalil, the registrar in the Lord's Hospital in Drogheda, a remarkable man. And we've been hearing from him all the we way have, through. We have, of course. Yeah. But we're actually going to get a fly on the wall insight view into life on a daily basis of working in an acute stroke ward. What their typical day is like, what they encounter, the kind of people, obviously stroke patients, how they deal with them, how they treat them, how they care for them. And my goodness, do they care for them. So I think you're going to have an amazing insight with Zool. Mm -hmm. Then we speak to our nurse, clinical nurse specialist in stroke, Fiona Connington. And Fiona is between the Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda and the County Hospital in Dundalk looking after stroke patients and very much caring for their welfare and talking to her about her 17 years 
on a stroke ward mm-hmm. and her experience. So I think these are remarkable insights and I don't think you're going to find them anywhere else except on our shows of day-to-day reality of what it's like working with, with stroke patients from a medical point of view. And then our final episode is Neve. Then we go to Dr Neve Rowe, our cognitive rehabilitation expert. And as people would have been hearing that we did uh, a... 16-week course in RD with Neve, and she brought the best out of some people, including myself, to be honest, um, who were undergoing a lot of strain and pressure and uh, needed a compass to figure out a direction to go after getting out of hospital. And maybe you needed some ideas or some motivation or to work on things that you needed to work on. So we're going to have a full show with Dr. Nevro as well. So those medical chats are next. Can I just say they won't have any big medical names or terms <laughs> and anything that is used is will be explained into bite-sized pieces because if like me you're recovering from a stroke I'm not really well up on big terms mm-hmm. and this show is for people who are recovering from strokes this show is not for medical people it's not for doctors so there's no point in using big names we want people to understand what we're talking about so that's what we're going to do for the next three shows on the stroke cast and that'll wrap up the this particular series of the this stroke series cast. nine shows and uh, the reaction so far has been remarkable okay. absolutely well, Jerry, good luck with that. Uh, what have we got coming up next on the Strokecast? Well, Al, next week on the Strokecast, we start talking to the medics. Dr. Zul Khalil is a senior registrar in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. The most difficult part of my job, Jerry, is that when a patient comes in, I know it's a stroke the minute I come in through that door, you're not allowed to be 99% sure as a doctor. You have to be 100% sure. I can be 99% sure that it's a stroke, but that CT scan gives me that extra 1% to say I'm 100% sure it's a stroke. Unfortunately, we don't necessarily have a magic tablet to give. Get in touch on Twitter at Strokecast IRL or on Facebook. The Strokecast is produced and presented by Jerry Stevens. The executive producer is Al Dunn. It's created by Unique Media.